Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? He created a loop of, I want something, I can't get it. I found a code. I broke it. I got it. No one stopped him, right? No one told yeah. him that I was wrong. And then he thought, what else can I break? And then he escalates down a path. And his mother actually looked at me and said, I'm really worried that people are going to think he's a criminal. I was like, well, I mean, he is. <laughs> I mean, that's the yeah. problem. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. This week, we are bringing you a conversation with a startup not in the Valley, but in London. And it is a little off the beaten path because what we're talking about, in fact, is hacking. And specifically, we're looking at how it is that teenagers who are often right on the front lines of this kind of murky world online and if you step back it makes sense so younger generations are really the kind of the first to grow up online they have a facility and ease of comfort with all things tech and many will spend hours and hours gaming for example where maybe they want to get a skin or some type of digital asset they can't get it their parents won't pay for it so they go on to an online forum people are swapping tips about how to kind of break into the game get various things you try it out and maybe you get more and more sophisticated see what else you can break into online maybe even start making some money you get the idea in any event teen hacking is a very big deal so there was a homeland uh, security report just last year into lapsus which was a group of kind of a loose group of teenagers young people in their late teens early 20s who broke into a bunch of companies microsoft Okta, nvidia a bunch of really sophisticated companies back in 2021 2022 and homeland security wanted to find out how this happened and how it worked and you know from the report they said Quote, teenagers are compromising well-defended organizations using a creative application of many techniques. And that's just one example, right? You may recall in 2020, another group of teenagers hacked a bunch of prominent Twitter accounts, including Jeff Bezos, to lure people into a crypto scam. And it only took a few hours, but they made six figures um, from that little stunt. Anyway, it's a problem. And this week's guest has come up with a really interesting way to address it. So Fergus Hay is the founder of something called The Hacking Games. It's a one-year-old London startup that is taking kind of a three-prong approach to try to turn this problem into a business. And the first is through mass media. They're developing a documentary 
as well as a kind of a Top Chef style television series called The Hacking Games. And this is kind of a hearts and minds approach to change the perception of hacking as this kind of solely nefarious activity, criminal enterprise into something that actually can be done, done well, and done for good. And then on top of that, they're going to launch a recruitment agency where they can kind of theoretically lure in lots of people who might be, you know, young people who might be otherwise heading down a different path and be like, hey, there's literally millions of unfilled cybersecurity jobs. This is a bigger and bigger issue. You can actually make good money and actually not be a bad guy doing this. And then also they're doing a metaverse platform. Listeners to this program will know I'm not a huge buyer of the whole metaverse thing, but anyway. Anyhow, I thought it was just an interesting idea, and Hay has brought together a really interesting group of folks to kind of bring this idea to life. So he has Hollywood studio heads, cybersecurity professionals, all kind of focused on this goal of taking this teenage hacking problem, this young person hacking problem, and actually changing, kind of flipping the script on it and trying to kind of create a virtue out of it. So that's what we cover. And as I said, it's fun, it's a different kind of story, and if you have kids of gaming age particularly, it will give you something to think about Think about because really, do you know what they are doing during all those hours of playing Roblox or whatever? And more to the point, would you watch the hacking games? Would you watch a, a television series whose kind of primary, you know, the action, so to speak, is a bunch of kids pecking away at a keyboard? So they've got their challenges, but I think it's a really interesting idea. They've got some, some real kind of grown-up serious people involved in the project and i think you'll enjoy the pod so here he is fergus hay the founder and head of the hacking games enjoy the hacking games what is it what's the big idea well the big idea in the hacking games is to equip generation z globally to stop the social pandemic that everyone is sleeping, sleepwalking through globally. So just before we go, and I know this is probably obvious to most people, but what is Generation Z? When is that a start or ish? Obviously, it's kind of open to interpretation, yeah. but basically below 30. Um, right. So 25% of the global workforce is, is Generation Z. Gotcha. Um, think of it as the kind of digital natives who have grown mm-hmm. up um, naturally in a digital world. It's not like they adopted it um, yeah. and had to learn it. And they are the kind of undergraduates and graduates that will drive our workforce and then ultimately our leadership and our society and our, and our commercial world. And Generation Z and then after gener- Generation Z is Generation A. We're just starting at the beginning of the alphabet. Is that how what we're doing? Somehow we have not creatively broken the cycle. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even gone like capitalized or lowercase. Right. Uh, yeah, no, no so these, are, these are youngsters. I mean, they're, they're kind of, you know, eight, eight, years, eight years up to kind of 15, 16. Gotcha. Um, okay. So, uh, and, and, you know, when we talk about Generation A, you know, that, that is actually, in a way, the scariest bit of mm. what we've seen in, the, in, this, in this world of hacking and cybercrime. So you mentioned social pandemic. Those are big, scary words. So what are you talking about when you talk about this kind of the, this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I, it was a baseline data point that um, we came across which as someone who's not deep in the cybersecurity space, it is totally startling. So by 2027, $23.8 trillion will be lost in a singular year to cybercrime. 
Mm. That's like an unfathomable number. But to put that in context, the GDP of the United States in 2022 was $23 trillion, give or take a dime. Right. The global cost of COVID, according to the IMF, over a two-year period was 11 or $12 trillion. So in a singular year, cybercrime will cost the world double what COVID did and the equivalent of the GDP of the United States. That is an enormous number. So we thought we'd double click into that and say, okay, well, like, what, what is happening in here? And who are the criminals? Who are the perpetrators yeah. of this? And of course, like, you instinctively say, well, it's obviously nation states, state sponsors. It's, it's North, North Korea, Korea, it's, it's Russia, Russia, it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that is true. That is true. And, and then you go, okay, well, and there's also organized cyber gangs out of South Asia and out of Russia, etc. And that is also true. But the startling fact is the infantry people, the vast majority of hands doing the hackers are kids. And the data shows, so uh, there was a, a research paper by Tuffin um, in 2022, that they polled 2000 New York teenagers, and mm. 60% of them had hacked someone by the age of 16. Right. And 32% of them had hacked someone by the age of 13. And what blew my mind then was like, whoa, my, my understanding of a hacker is an outlier of society. It was yeah. uh, incredibly smart, often neurodiverse, outlier of the, of the community who was kind of fighting, fighting the system, which is true of the origins of the 90s and the 2000s. And that is true. And of course, there's many of those people as well. But what that data shows you is it's now the middle of the curve, kids. It's normal kids who, and I'm normal, I mean, in terms of like their intellectual capability. Yeah. They're not the outliers and, and maths geniuses. They're just kids. In fact, it's my kids. You know, I have a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a six-year-old. And, they, you know, they can now get access to hacking code through generative AI. You know, it's, it's circulated around the community. Just to, on that point. I imagine that that 60% figure by the age of 16 runs the gamut, right? From like, oh, let me try to guess somebody's password to actually I've got real hacking skills and I can break into somebody's account and steal something from them, whatever it may be. And I guess what I want to draw out there is just the generational difference of growing up on the internet, growing up gaming and how the lines between you know what you do online it, it's just a, i'm guessing to younger people if you are hacking somebody if you're you know stealing some kind of asset or whatever skin on fortnite that doesn't feel like a crime in other words it's not clear like you're not walking into the corner store and stealing a bag of chips for example but let's unpick that, right? Because what we decide is right and wrong is informed yeah. by the social contract, right? You can go all the way back to Jean-Jacques Rousseau and, and the libertarian thinkers about what is permissible and what is not permissible. And the people who lead us there are our parents, our community, mm -hmm. our religion or our political, political rules that, that we abide by, our governance. And all of those infrastructures are built for an analog world, for an in-real-life world. Yeah. But this generation don't delineate between in real life and online. It is totally integrated. Right. You know, they are born as digital natives. In fact, you know, this is the first generation who are natural born coders. You know, they're taught coding at school. But they're not taught a code of ethics. Well, that's what I think is really interesting. So, but I think that same kid, that same 60% cohort you mentioned, they may be totally fine hacking and stealing something online but they're not going to walk into the corner store and steal anything. 
right? Because it feels different. And I think that's the that's what's interesting, it seems to me, about that information is like, you know, that that it doesn't feel real in the same way as like, oh, if I get caught shoplifting, I, the police are going to be called. Well, I'll tell you an anecdote. We've met so many of these hacking community now and the young kids. There was a kid I met who I have to kind of anonymize it, who uh, lives in a nice family, professional parents, kid, single child would go to school, come back, and they would go up to their room and uh, he would play on his computer. And mum and dad were a bit anxious that he was playing too much Fortnite. And that probably doesn't set the right example of shooting people. It's, you know, the classic parental concern. But this kid wasn't playing Fortnite. When we met him, this kid had a bank account that he had set up under an alias with double digit millions of dollars in it. How does a young teenager, how old is he? He's 13 now, but started when he was 10. How does a 10-year-old set up a bank account online? Well, actually, I mean, that's terrifying, Danny. Uh, He actually showed me. uh, So in the dark web, all of your identity is available for sale. I mean, he he went on there and he said, right, let's see what we can buy of of yours. And, uh, you know, immediately he found my national insurance number. He found my American social security number. There was my my passport. There was a copy of my driving license, you know. And it was, you know, five bucks here, five bucks there, five bucks here, you know, and, and you can rapidly put it together. And that is a sign of how the disaggregated system is so far advanced of the organized governance system. Right. So this kid, just because I think this is a really illustrative point, right? So this kid, obviously, he's a gifted hacker. He could kind of create some kind of adult alias that can set up an online bank account and then put 10 figures of ill-gotten gains and just hold them there as a 10, 11, 12-year-old. Yeah, I know, of course, that's not what the system sees. But the insight into that was, um, how do you get there? Yeah. And when I spoke to him, he was like, look, it all starts on gaming platforms. I wanted to break the game. How do I break the game? And he was looking for cheat codes. And it all starts as, you know, he went to mom and dad and said, hey, I want the digital fighter jet. Mom and dad say, I'm not going to give you five Robux to buy this on Roblox. It was on Roblox. And so he goes on to the YouTube channel where they all watch Roblox videos and they're all sharing different ways of, getting cheat codes and he gets hold of a cheat code and he breaks the game and he thought wow that was fun what else can i break so then he starts to go to break websites and he starts just breaking websites finding finding some uh, malware bringing down um, some websites but what he doesn't realize is that website is a pizza delivery company or it's a family-owned florist or it's yeah. a, you know b2b insurance sales company who rely on their web presence for revenue and then they he ransoms them and you know the way he described it is like they contacted me he leaves a digital trail they contacted me and they started offering me money. So, you know, I started taking it. It was 500 yeah. pounds, 1,000 pounds. It just escalated over time. Of course, you know, I don't know if that's the full story, but but the narrative is he started looking for cheat codes. He created a loop of, I want something, I can't get it. I found a code, I broke it, I got it. No one stopped him, right? No one told yeah. him that I was wrong. And then he thought, what else can I break? And then he escalates down a path. And his mother actually looked at me and said, I'm really worried that people are going to think he's a criminal. I was like, well, I mean, he is. <laughs> I mean, that's the yeah. problem. On our advisory board, we have an amazing guy called um, Stefan Dubin, who is the ex-head of cybercrime in uh, Europol. And he's committed his life to kind of hunting down cyber gangs, particularly targeting kids on gaming platforms. And he said to me this, it is a human nature that if you are not caught or you're not punished and there's no jeopardy for a behavior, humans will just repeat the behavior and they will yeah. just assume it's okay. And unfortunately, 
our social systems, i.e. parents, we might talk to our kids about sex and drugs and maybe cyberbullying, but 99.9% of us are not having the conversation with our kids about hacking and the threats and their behaviors and the ethical behaviors they need to make. So there's no social system around them. The schools are not teaching ethical ethics around coding and hacking at all. Like that's not there. So these kids are running are running free, like free range chickens. And that is like very, very dangerous. And the, the final piece I'd say on that, which Stefan has helped us understand is that everyone gets caught. You cannot avoid leaving a digital footprint. Well, especially if you're a kid, right? And like you're messing around and doing stupid things and breaking rules. You're not Lex Luthor, you know, a criminal mastermind who's going to cover all his tracks. <laughs> Even he got caught. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, <laughs> but yes, you're right. I mean, that, that is totally true. But it's quite meaningful, though, because micro actions that you make as a young kid where you yeah. don't understand the impact of them can come back and bite you in your 20s when you're pursuing a professional career. And of course, the example of that is Marcus, the uh, hacker who found the kill switch of the WannaCry virus. You know, he was a 18, 19 year old kid in Cornwall in the UK, this global virus that's bringing down national health systems. He finds the, the, the kill switch, amazingly celebrated. He's invited to DEF CON to give a speech about how he did it, incredible. But there, as he's leaving, he gets picked up by the FBI. He thinks mm. they're interviewing him to find out how brilliant he was, but actually they're interviewing him because they found that he had been involved in some uh, financial data transgression when he was 13, like nine years ago. And, and he had to fight a case for a year, two years against right. him. So that, that, the, the impact for these kids of these micro actions is, is, is severe later in life. It sounds like stepping back, it sounds like what you're talking about here, and then we'll get into the hacking games and what you're doing in terms of a business and kind of a media entity. It sounds like, you know, just this past few days, we had all the tech CEOs testifying in front of Congress, the latest round. But this time it was about <laughs> online harms to kids. And it was, you know, body imagery and bullying and sexual predation and all this stuff. But it's all part of this. The social contract does not translate when it goes online effectively. And what you're talking about here is like, you know, the kid that's not going to shoplift has no problem hacking into somebody's account and doing some stuff that could come bite him in the ass, so to speak, later in life. And so with that as the backdrop, what is the hacking games? What were you doing before? And why did you decide, okay, I'm going to create this thing from whole cloth and try to address a very big um, kind of complex problem? Well, well, let me tell you what we're doing, and, then, and I'll tell you how, how we came together as a group, a group to do this. So we think there's a massively important job to create a generation of defenders. That's what our mission is. We want to create a generation of defenders who can make the world a safer place and a more creative place. The key part of that is to help inspire Generation Z and ultimately later in life, Generation A, that there is ethical hacking. There is a way of using their creativity and their access to technology with an ethical code around it to do amazing things and reframe it from being perceived as criminal, which yeah. is the hoodie, the no face, the matrix in the background scamming people, which is how the media justifiably represents cybercrime. That's completely fair. But instead, show what ethical hacking originally was. The original ethical hackers were. Brilliant people who looked at things, broke down them into their base level parts, spotted the vulnerabilities, and either repurposed them or made them better. So examples, Tim Berners-Lee, the founder of the internet, Elon Musk, and what he's done um, in the transition to into um, electric mobility, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, 
they got the seed capital for Apple by being paid by companies to hack their phone lines. Yeah. So these guys are, you know, you've got Marathi, the CTO of, of um, OpenAI. Open you know, you've got these incredible people who are leading the world, creating great innovation, and creating great careers for themselves. They are, the, if the rock stars of the last 20 years were kind of entrepreneurs who were creating businesses that didn't make profit, the rock stars of the next 20 years are going to be ethical hackers who are using their creativity and technology to solve amazingly big problems. So what we want to do is inspire this generation to realize that there's ethical hacking is aspirational, puts a code of ethics around their skills, and they can do great things. Then we want to coach them and educate them with ethical hacking qualifications. So we get certified, let's get quality on it. And then we want to recruit them into a labor force to fill the labor deficit in the cybersecurity world. And just to give you a point on that, right now there are 4 million people in the global cybersecurity in, um, industry, but okay. there are three and a half million unfilled jobs. So it's a one for one. The, the talent deficit is obscene. And when you look at the data, you've got these cyber professionals who are trying to keep things safe, companies, communities, yeah. societies. But we saw a data point that 73% of cyber professionals have left their job at least once due to overstress. Because mm. there are way more attackers than there are defenders. Yeah. So what we want to do is get this generation to be inspired and reframe hacking to be ethical, to then be trained, and then to be recruited into that labor force. And the way we're doing that is the inspire bit first is using storytelling you know we know that entertainment and media is a fantastically powerful way of getting people to reframe assumptions and consider things in a different way and persuade people to try something and so we are launching a documentary with the noah media group which is uh, one of the world's most awarded documentary makers that'll be aired in 2025 we're launching a reality TV show with um, 2006 Productions with a team who are behind Survivor, Britain's Got Talent, X Factor. And we'll be launching a metaverse platform with Improbable, which is one of the leading metaverse platforms in the world, all under the brand of Hacking Games to provide kids with content that inspires them about the merits of ethical hacking, shows why it's better than a criminal path, and then provide a platform, a digital community where they can get trained in order to get into the labor force. On the documentary, that seems pretty self-explanatory. The reality TV show, is that basically like Top Chef, but for you know, <laughs> young hackers? Unfortunately, I can't disclose too much, Danny. Um, but it is a competitive format. We will have ethical hackers from around the world competing against each other to get into a justice league of the best ethical hackers in the world. And that's a team that we can put to good use. I can't give you much more than that, but we're really going to celebrate the creativity and the ethical code of, of ethical hackers and show the positive impact they can have in the world and show them to be the amazing talent and iconic people that we should all respect. And, and that, that, we think, is, is a really important part of it. And so you're building that media empire. And at the same time, theoretically, that feeds into kind of an actual business platform as well, a kind of recruitment platform. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we're going to build a workforce, you know, a young generation who are inspired, and then we will train them. And we'll work with corporate, big corporate partners that we're onboarding at the moment to train this, uh, this community, and then give them a pathway into a career in cybersecurity. And by the way, cybersecurity is, uh, touches all parts of the world. It's not a division. I mean, this podcast right now, we're on a tech platform on Riverside, and you've got to make sure that's secure, and you've got to be yeah. secure, and I've got to be secure. So providing a pathway into a world where they can use their skills to make it safer. And, and clearly, you know, we see great ways of creating valuable entertainment IP. That's not a throwaway. 
And we also see that there is a really good industry in training people. Brilliant businesses doing that right now. And we also see there's a great way of filling the labor deficit with really high quality talent, which people will, will value. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What were you doing before this? <laughs> and like, like, why, how did you get involved? So I did my first, uh, my first portion of my career in global advertising and marketing groups. So uh, I had the privilege of working for some of the best in the world. I worked for BBH, WPP, Ogilvy, Maida, and an independent company called Legas Delaney out of, out of London. So I did 10 years in America, or just under 10 years in America. And then I was in uh, Hong Kong, Singapore. So I had a, had a real privilege of covering the world and learning a lot. Since then, I've been a venture partner in, in, uh, in investment funds and have been an entrepreneur and certain other business. But the, the way that we came to this was a really good friend of mine, Don Deer, who's my co-founder, said to me, hey, come, come to this meeting in Amsterdam. Uh, he's in cybersecurity for 24 years. He and right. his long-term business partner, Aziz Makaroon, have been in the industry for all of their life. So they're really deep inside the industry. And they said, I want you to come and meet some hackers because we think we might want to make a documentary about their story. So I said, sure. So I kind of walked into the room with like zero expectation. I think I probably just had a sandwich and was probably dozy in the afternoon. Yeah. And three hours later, having been in a room with a bunch of hackers, that most of them were online, a couple in the room. I just walked out with a deep sense of terror. What I'd heard mm. in that room about the scale of the problem, the lack of awareness, I just felt deeply, deeply vulnerable and shocked. And not just for me, but just for everyone. And in particular, for my kids. Because when I learned how young the people are and how innocent they are, and I looked at my own kids' behaviors, you know, there they are, like playing roblox and Fortnite, and you know i really kind of was like wow i'm not i'm nowhere near this i'm nowhere near what they're being exposed to yeah and and actually that afternoon i got on a plane uh from amsterdam to zurich which is actually one of the most beautiful flights you can take it's over the alps stunning scenery and normally you look over gaze wistfully and think god you know isn't nature brilliant but this time i just i had my head down and i just wrote on my laptop and i just wrote a kind of four-page document which it just spilled out. My God, we've got this social problem. We've got to solve it. We've got to 
a social responsibility as a parent. I really felt that. But at the same time, what an amazing opportunity to build uh, the future labor force and equip them. And my God, there's a great business here. And that document is the cornerstone of what we're doing. You know, a year later, right. uh, you know, with all the all the progress and the production and, and the people we brought on board, the fundamentals of that document were the same. And so we brought we brought in Dan and I brought in three other co-founders. Um, we've learned as you get older in life just to bring brilliant people in and, and make things simple. So we're so lucky to have brought in Sandy Kleiman, who was uh, the founder of CAA's corporate division. He uh, is a long-term Hollywood um, player. He uh, was the EVP at Universal Studios and, and, and had been deep in the intersection of entertainment and technology. He was a producer of The Aviator, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And actually, he'll be the first one to tell you that he was way ahead of everyone on this because he was also deeply involved with the movie Sneakers. Uh, oh, I remember Redford. Sneakers, yes, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what I love about Sandy is he, he really is at the intersection of entertainment and technology. That's what he's been doing for the last 20 years. So Sandy joined as co-founder um, and I'm the chairman and, and is our kind of our, our, our foot in Hollywood. Uh, and then we brought in Oliver Roskill, who's a BAFTA award-winning movie producer. So uh, he came in to run all of our content and entertainment properties. Because in the end, Danny, like, if we don't get this community inspired, yeah. we're not going to make a difference. So the entertainment has to be unbelievable. It has to be so magnetic. You have to kind of cross a chasm, right? Because a lot of hackers are like, you know, anti like anti-establishment, anti-corporate, anti-powers that be. And if you're trying to be like, no, no, come out of the dark side, I presume you have to have like a really compelling narrative and like a really good brand and something where you're like, actually, this is pretty legit. I'm okay to be associated with this. That community you're referring to are highly specialized. Yeah. Brilliant. They're a very tight community. And uh, they have all of our respect. And we're delighted to have a bunch of them on our advisory group, on our creative council. You, you know, you'll, you'll meet some of them. They, they are amazing people. Yeah. They're not the people we're targeting. These guys are, are self-generated already. We're targeting the middle of the curve, the middle kids who are accidentally slipping into it. That 14-year-old who has $10 million in his bank account yeah i mean even he is probably on the niche side it's more like <laughs> it's more like my kids who you know right. i hope they never listen to this but they're not like stem geniuses you yeah. know they're, they're normal kids you know they 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 love playing games they love their friends they like playing soccer you know but they are on roblox and they are two or three decisions away from falling down the wrong path right and i think we've got to get that middle of the curve it's 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 like everything in economics you know the extremities don't make the difference it's the middle yeah and we've got to get that middle and we've got to to understand an ethical code around the actions they're taking and make sure that they make good decisions. And those good decisions are not just defensive, but they can actually create amazing things. And so I think our entertainment is targeted at the middle and, and we will respect and, and work with the, uh, the highly specialized hacking community. But, you know, they, they already have their own momentum. And then you have a couple other co-founders, you said? So you have the kind of entertainment side. Yeah, so the entertainment side in Oliver and Sandy, uh, and then we have Dan and Aziz. So they are business partners for the last 24 years. Um, they're entrepreneurs involved in um, three companies they've exited. They have been an amazing gateway into the community and the, um, the kind of amazing advisory board and network of hackers um, that we've got is through their respect and access in the network. So, so it's the intersection of um, entertainment and uh, the cybersecurity world, which is a critical mix, actually, because what entertainment does really well is it makes mass stories accessible. And what cybersecurity has done really, really well, but to its detriment, is it stayed niche. 
it stayed very much in the shadows. Yeah. But right now, the data shows it's coming out of the shadows at the ground level. So we need to tell this story in a way that's accessible to the middle of the curve. And that's why the, the know-how of cybersecurity mixed with the storytelling of entertainment will get our message out there and, and shift the dial. You say documentary would be coming out in 2025. Where is that in the process currently? Amazing concept. Director identified we would be shooting in September to be published the following year. Uh, we've worked on it for seven, eight months now with right. No Media Group, who are an extraordinary organization of documentary makers and they're, they're must be the hottest documentary group in the world at the moment. And it's been a privilege to work with them. So that goes uh, in, into production shortly. And the TV show is in creative development and I'm very excited because I got a sneaky peek last week. And that's working with uh, with Duncan Gray, who's a very well respected leader in in the TV TV world, both stateside and, and the UK side. And uh, we expect to be starting to take that to market in the next couple of months. We've already had uh, interest, pre interest from networks. Well, it's interesting. It's a you know, it kind of reminds me as I was listening to you talk. I was like, you know, when you have like F one drive to survive, and there's like you know, cars going two hundred miles an hour and crashes and all that kind of stuff. You're kind of like. I get that. That's kind of really gripping. And then you think a bunch of teenagers pecking away at a keyboard. You're like, <laughs> um, boring. Well, boring as hell. But at the same time, I will say that poker, for example, is a huge entertainment property. Now, that's different in that it's, you know, there are stakes and betting and bluffing and all that stuff. But I'm just, it'll be interesting to see how you can kind of, find that sweet spot of like, this is not race cars. I'll tell you my journey on it because I started exactly where you were. And actually, by the way, that's where uh, Duncan's TV team were. Like, guys, can we really make something out of this? And now they've met all the hackers and heard all the stories. They've gone stratospheric on what we can do with it. But I'll give you an anecdote is the best way to respond to that. So my co-founder's life has been in penetration testing. So that's when a company let's say big company X hires a penetration testing company to attack them and see where the vulnerabilities are in their technology space. These are your cybersecurity uh, co-founders. Correct, yeah. And they tell this story. So I have to anonymize it for, for obvious yeah. reasons. So uh, in some unknown country, there is a media company that has hired these guys. And so they send three hackers to go to a cafe right opposite the main office. And they sit in the cafe and they fire up their laptops. They're like Starbucks Wi-Fi. <laughs> exactly. Starbucks Wi-Fi, which you should never click on, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> also, don't ever plug your phone into a USB port on, in, on the side of a wall. Right. So anyway, they go in there and, uh, and they fire and they try to crack into the Wi-Fi of the, of the media company. It was a, a publishing company. And they can't quite crack into it from Starbucks. So they go into the back. Uh, outside the Starbucks and they spin up a drone to get closer to the antennae on, on the roof of, of the building. And they get like 60% the way in, but they still can't quite get in. Yeah. So like, okay, so let's observe. And this is the most interesting thing. 82% of cybersecurity breaches involve human elements, yeah. not technology. Yeah. So they watch the building and this is what they see. They see that two or three times a day, one or two or three different coffee bean companies turn up with coffee beans to replenish the, the coffee machine. Interesting. The second thing they saw is that every kind of hour and a half, 15 people came out together to have a smoke break. Yep. And they would all exit, including the security guard, and then one of them would tap in and they'd all go in as a squad. Right. 
The third thing they saw was that in the parking lot under the building, the barrier was a bit slow coming down. Yep. So they observed for a day and they said, okay, right. Tomorrow, we're going to have a three-point entrance. So one guy turns up with coffee beans and goes, coffee bean delivery. She goes, the receptionist, he or she goes, what floor? And he goes, look, I don't know. I'm just here to deliver some beans. Please don't waste my time. These beans have got to get delivered. Yeah. These beans aren't going to deliver themselves, lady. Yeah, exactly. I'm not Jack. It's not a bean <laughs> store. <laughs> so, so, and she calls different floors. Hey, did anyone order coffee beans? Yeah, yeah, I think we ordered coffee. I don't know. Yeah, send them up. Yeah. The second person sees the smokers come out and goes and joins the smokers. I don't even know if he did smoke himself. Poor guy. Hopefully he didn't fall down that rabbit warren. But anyway, so he joins the smokers. And, oh, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm contracting for the day. Blah, 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 blah. Cigarette with them. Walks in, in, in with the group. Right. And then the third guy goes uh, to the, uh, the raising arm in the parking lot. But he actually messes it up and he, and he doesn't get in. Right. But two are in. And they go into the elevator. And whoever presses the button, they go, oh, yeah, I'm going to that floor, floor as well. Great. Yeah. They get up onto the floor and then they get to an open desk and they open up their laptop and they are just someone hot desking. 40 minutes later, they have hacked into the editor's personal editing account. They've gone onto the front page of the newspaper and they've changed it to say the secret services of this country have assassinated the American president. The American president. Yeah, the American president. They yeah. take a video of it. And then they send it to the client from that company that hired them. And they said it took one day right. to do something that would have been catastrophic yes. um, for, for the business. But what, what's interesting about that story is that it's social engineering, it's uh, duplicity, it's physical, it's technical. It's a whole medley of skills that come together. And in particularly the social engineering bit, which is why that 82% of breaches involve human elements is so surprising to, to those who are not yeah. involved. Then you think creatively, oh, wow, well, that is Ving Rhames and Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. Yeah. And that's what the entertainment guys have, have really left on to. Got you. That makes sense. I'm curious. I know you guys are pretty, you know, this is, you've been working on this, what, like a year now? Yeah. January 22. Talking to companies, I mean, you mentioned cybersecurity companies and millions of open jobs and this idea that a lot of the, you know, probably some very gifted hackers are kids untrained, doing bad things, all that kind of stuff. What is your sense of like corporate UK PLC, corporate America, whatever you want to call it, their willingness to be like, actually, this is a great pool of potential workers. Like, you know, kind of bridging that gap between what you're trying to do with that, with the media of kind of bringing these kit, these, this whole middle onto the good side. What is the corporate world? Uh, what's the reception there? Those in the cybersecurity space, it's what they talk about all the time. So um, at Davos, the leading big four consulting firms are all talking about the labor deficit in cybersecurity. And that is partly commercial, of course, like more people, more work. It's also like deeply threatening. And you know, the big corporates are the most vulnerable. They're the ones who are getting hacked. You know, we spoke to the CISO of an enormous uh, pharmaceutical company. And he said, I'm just overwhelmed by attacks every day. There are more attackers than there are defenders. And so they are the most vulnerable. They're the people getting attacked all the time. And secondarily, they're the people who need the talent the most. So we have had amazing traction with corporate America, corporate Europe, corporate Britain, of businesses who are in cybersecurity or in technology or in finance, who understand the existentialist threat. 
And so when they realize that we are building the labor force of the future here by inspiring these uh, this generation and training them in ethical hacking and then providing a pathway, they see a massive problem that they can't solve themselves um, in the pipeline. So at the moment, you know, they, they are joining us to help uh, make the entertainment, help attract the community and help to train them. We need more people to join in. It's a collective issue here. It's like a common goal. And, you know, ultimately society and commerce will, will benefit. And are you raising venture capital or are you trying to get corporate sponsors at this stage to kind of, you know, finance this whole caper? We haven't seen a need to raise venture capital. You never say no, but we've not gone out to market. Um, and, and amongst our network, we could, but, but, but we haven't. At the moment, we see enough traction with the big corporates to be able to raise the capital to make, make the entertainment products. And that is through, you know, three-year corporate partnerships where the corporates get access to the community we're building. They can inform on the training programs. A lot of the corporates have got actually great training programs that just need adjusting or gamifying to suit a younger audience. And of course, you know, there's a CSR desire to be close to an, a, an ethical hacking venture where we can make a difference. So right now we're, we're financed through our corporate partners as sponsors and participants. We may well raise, we, we, Sandy and I would always say we'd, we'd always consider it, but we don't need to at the moment. You know, in the end, when you've got an amazing community, you know, if we're two to three years out, we've got this kind of highly vibrant, engaged community of young, ethically hacking minded people. There are so many different ways we can help them achieve their goals, make the world safer. You know, we can spin out, be a venture builder. We can spin out ventures with them. That's for sure the cybersecurity penetration testing business we can make with them. There's definitely a kind of recruitment arm where we can identify and, and profile the ones with the right skills and then find them jobs jobs in the industry. So there is an awful lot we can do with that cohort. Um, and probably most foundationally important of all of it would be to work with that cohort and let them develop an ethical code that they own. The greatest mistake would be for a bunch of kind of middle-aged people to try to define an ethical code for this generation. You know, I think yeah. they have to take ownership of it. And, and that's something we are um, really committed to. Uh, we will set up the Hacking Games Foundation, which will be a nonprofit, to work with the community to develop an ethical code. And we definitely will need government support and corporate support to do that. That is a, a long journey, I think. I mean, if you really think how many codes of ethics are really adopted, you know, like the Ten Commandments, you know, maybe. You know, <laughs> Debatable. The Quran, maybe. You know, like that, it is hard to get ethical codes adopted. But we think we, we can't be the ambassadors and catalysts of creating an ethical coding generation, ethical hacking generation, without getting that code lobbied into governments, into schools, and ultimately it's around the family dinner table. And, and that is the role of, the role of the foundation. Speaking of middle age, can I ask how old are you? I'm 42. Is that technically middle age, by the way? I don't know. I don't know. I'm 46. Like, where are we on that? Right? I'm 46. <laughs> so I'm, I'm still mentally in my 20s. So, you know, back to your longevity podcast. I mean, basically, I think I'm still an infant. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Have you ever done a startup before? We set up a company uh, just after COVID, which is oh. an Elysium Fields business. So I set that up. Um, I sit on three different funds, um, advisory boards as a, as a venture partner where we invest in technology businesses. This will be my second startup. It'll be definitely my first startup in the cybersecurity. Um, yeah. I don't, it's really hard to say cybersecurity media entertainment force. it's such a big problem it has to be multifaceted but you know it's uh yeah it's amazing to feel like you're in the hot seat with a sense of responsibility of creating something that is going to make a really positive impact on a generation and positively impact the world but also be a fantastic business 
and I feel like privileged, but also it, it really is a burden of responsibility to get this yeah. right. Well, it's interesting also, um, having spoken to a lot of people in cybersecurity over the years, especially including on this podcast, one of the things I hadn't fully appreciated, which when you hear it, you're like, oh, of course, is that a lot of the hacks happen and we never know about it. You know, a lot of the companies will get that dreaded message of, you know, we've got your data, we've got your information, our ransom is X, pay it or you're screwed. And a lot of people just, a lot of companies just pay it, which is why it's such a, I think a bigger problem than people realize. And, and, and on the same way on the hacking side, it's a lot of it is just kind of happening in the background and not a lot of people talk about it. So it's kind of this invisible problem or the scale of the problem is invisible. Insidious. It's insidious. And, and that's why we talk about the social pandemic that everyone's sleepwalking through. Um, in fact, IBM published a report where they said, on average, it takes one year to identify a breach. Right. One year. And in fact, there was another set of data, I can't remember the source, but I can can send it to you, that said like 82% of CISOs say they won't be hacked in the next 12 months or breached in the next 12 months. Yet 75% of companies have been breached in the last 24 months. So those two data points don't sit. Everybody's screwed except me. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, right. exactly. But it is, um, I mean, look, it's virulent. And of course, it's very personal. I mean, a close family member of mine was socially engineered out of their life savings last year. That becomes very, very personal. You know, there's big corporate hacks. And in a way, no one has sympathy for the big corporates until you understand how the money all trickles down into yeah. people's pensions and, and their jobs and livelihoods. But when you have people you know who are socially engineered out of life savings, that becomes really, really painful. And there's no yeah, recourse. Yeah. Like, like yeah. The, uh, b- bless the, the, the policing system, but they are absolutely not equipped to handle this volume. And they don't have the software and they don't have the talent. And so where do you go? <laughs> you know, what's, the, what's the recourse? So, so we are definitely at a, a, at a tipping point. We saw some interesting data about the gaming being the environment that it happens on. Seven million people were attacked in 2022 on gaming platforms. Seven million. Yeah. And I imagine that goes from like, I want your Fortnite skin or whatever to, you know, all the way on down the line. And have you signed a deal with any of, with a streamer for the hacking games, like the TV series? With a distribution platform? Yeah. No, we had a, we had a bid before we'd even come up with an idea which we were thrilled that there was so much traction, but then we thought we would be in a stronger position to develop the idea, which we've now got. We will go out to market in about two months' time. I I must say our early tests of the platforms is there's a huge appetite for it. But the question is exactly the question you've asked, which is please show me that it's engaging yeah, and that there's jeopardy and it's thrilling to watch. You know, there is a question, by the way, is like, is a streamer even the right platform? Right. There was a movie I saw the other day. I didn't see it. I saw it being noted that it was launched in 180 TikToks. So they broke the movie down into 180 90-second mini clips. That sounds terrible. I, know. I mean, I know I'm just old, but that just sounds Imagine terrible. the arthritis in your thumb. No, I know. <laughs> but, but it is interesting. You know, the, the audience, young audience, just look at your own kids or my kids. Like, where are they absorbing their content? YouTube. You know? YouTube. Yeah, YouTube, right? So, yeah. you, so YouTube, if you're listening, <laughs> Danny says you'll take the call. Um, but, you know, the way we see it, Danny, is, you know, we see this as, as a, a big franchise. So we see multi-market, 
multi-season TV show. We expect to be doing a documentary every 18 months. There's a scripted show and a scripted movie in the pipeline. The really interesting play is the partnership with Improbable. I think they're the world's leading infrastructure for the metaverse environments. They, they raised 800 million, SoftBank, Anderson Horowitz, and uh, Herman Narula, who's one of the three co-founders, um, has been a great sparring partner on this. And ultimately, you know, their digital worlds are highly immersive, um, extremely great gaming environments. And ultimately, we want to create that for the hacking game so that the kids can be in the environment they're, they're native to. They can watch the content. They can do Ask Me Anythings with the ethical hackers. They can join tribes. They can play scenarios. They can play games. They can go through the ethical hacking training qualifications and be in an environment that is really native to them. And we think that's really the epicenter of where they're going to gather. And of course, for corporate partners, that's where they can do career events, show and tells, they can host lots of training programs, they can recruit off that platform. And, and so integrating mass, mass entertainment with digital worlds hasn't really been done yet. It's just starting to start with some sports franchises. And we think that's going to be a really important part of it. Gotcha. Cool. I wish you luck. I look forward to seeing how your partners bring this, a bunch of dudes pecking away at a keyboard, bring that to life. <laughs> But I'm sure if, you know, if poker can turn into a global phenomenon, I'm sure you can, uh, you know, there's plenty of ways to do that in this case as well. Well, listen, Danny, th thank you so much. You know, it's, um, this one's a calling. This is a life mission, this, this, this project. And uh, we, we need help. So if there are big tech, uh, cybersecurity firms who believe in the mission of creating more defenders than there are attackers, um, you're welcome to come and join us, join our corporate partnership program. Let's pool our resources and, and make a big impact to create a labor force that is equipped to make the world safer and better. Amen. Well, good luck. Thanks, Danny. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Fergus for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews, for telling your friends, for telling your neighbors about this podcast. I will be uh, writing in the paper this week. I actually did a piece last week on the hacking game so if you missed that do check that out at thetimes.co.uk you can find me on twitter at Danny Fortson and I'll be back next week with another fantabulous pod for you so thank you again for listening and we'll speak very soon bye bye <laughs>